This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. We're going to go ahead and get started. You guys are all uh, here for the Careers in Law panel. We're uh, very fortunate to have um, the group that we have here today, and we look forward to um, you all um, here as well. Um, before we get started, I'll just go over a structure of the time for today. If you all could please honor our guests and turn off your cell phones, or at least turn them to vibrate at this time. Um, we will go ahead and I'll have each of the panelists in just a few moments briefly introduce themselves. We will have a few questions that they'll each be able to answer for the next 45 minutes or so. The last 15 minutes will be saved for a formal Q&A um, and then hopefully if there's um, a time at the end, maybe a, a brief chance for yourselves to approach any of the panelists as well. Um, so without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started, and we'll begin with um, Julia, if each of the panelists could briefly introduce themselves, and then I will go about um, starting to moderate the questions. Great. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So my name is Julia Wilson, and I'm the director of a statewide nonprofit called LAC, the Legal Aid Association of California. And basically what our nonprofit does is we're a membership organization, like a trade association, for the over, just over 100 legal aid societies that exist around the state. So those non individual nonprofit corporations that provide direct legal services to low income and other disadvantaged Californians are then members of ours and we basically serve them as their main advocate in the legislature in Sacramento on state issues. We also um, provide training conferences around the straight state to ensure that legal aid advocates all have the same access to high quality training and professional development and then coordination basically making sure that programs in San Diego are communicating with the office of a program in Chico so that advocates working on similar issues are in collaboration and coordination and basically making the the statewide legal services delivery network as efficient as possible so that's sort of the overview of what we do and I can talk more about the specific details of my job later. I was, before this job, for seven years, a direct services attorney providing legal assistance to low-income Californians just up the road in San Mateo County. And my name is Paul Kozachenko, and uh, I'm a partner in Gonzalves and Kozachenko, which is a firm that I founded with my partner, Linda Gonzalves, in 1984. Uh, we are a uh, private practice law firm, and uh, my uh, general area of expertise is in the business and real estate area and I've been doing that for 20 something years. Um, what I do is advise clients from all walks of life about those issues on a regular basis and um, I'll be happy to answer questions. Hi, I'm Jennifer Fan. I practice law for um, over eight years now uh, in both the nonprofit and for-profit sectors. I currently work for Stanford Law School directing their pro bono program in which I oversee and coordinate various pro bono opportunities and do community outreach as well as counsel students on public interest law opportunities. Um, in the past, I've also worked for a foundation called Asian Pacific Fund, um, which serves the Asian American community here in the Bay Area. And I've also worked as a corporate securities attorney. Delighted to be here. Thank you all for coming. 
My name is Alan Douglas, and I attended my 40th uh, reunion from Stanford Law School this past fall, which means I'm a retired attorney. I no longer practice law, but the things you can ask me about in terms of the career experience that I had are these. I went to law school because my alternative was to be drafted and die in Vietnam. Now that may sound very strange or funny to you, until you realize that, in fact, in 1963, when I was graduating from Stanford with a history degree, those were the options, folks. Very different environment. One was to go to Vietnam, the other was to go to grad school, if you could get a student deferment. It worked out for me because I loved uh, law. I spent two years after law school as a clerk for an appellate court judge, so I can talk to you about judicial clerkships. I spent uh, about 20 years practicing juvenile law and criminal law. It's a, a very small uh, law firm of my own, which I truly enjoyed. I then spent several years on the juvenile court bench in San Diego County as a referee of the juvenile court, adjudicating hearing uh, abuse and neglect cases. Following that, uh, just the right time, I uh, became a supervising research attorney in the San Diego Superior Court and developed a 40 attorney staff that gave legal, did legal research and gave legal advice to the judges of the Superior Court. Mostly what they did was advise about particular kinds of cases with construction defect and uh, the death penalty. My job was quite different. It was to hire them, train them, and manage them, but my job was to give the court advice on how to behave as a court. We had a $51 million business on our hands called the court. How does it behave? How does it uh, find jurors? How does it find jurors properly? How does it assign cases? All the business of the court was mine to advise the court on how to proceed. I loved that, and during uh, that tenure, I developed an expertise uh, with law students uh, working with the uh, National Association for Law Placement. And I've written articles on resume writing, resume review. I've written articles and have experience interviewing uh, at law schools throughout uh, the state of California, including uh, this one, uh, as I hired judicial clerks for many years for the management training for the courts. I tell you all of that because those are the things I know about. Those are the things that I'm happy to pick my brain about. Um, I'm here because you give me the opportunity to talk about those things. And I hope you will give me the opportunity while we're here outside uh, to talk about those things. The last thing I did uh, in my career before I retired in 1997 was as an adjunct professor to teach constitutional law, constitutional criminal procedure, and criminal law. And that was my career. And the interesting thing we ever get to is uh, I'm just coming to grips with the answer to the question, why? Wow. <laughs> um, so I'm Marie Sabrutico. I'm uh, now starting my third year of practice. Um, I'm at Wilson Sincini, Goodrich and Rosati. I'm in their technology transactions group, which pretty much means that I do a lot of intellectual property um, Let's see, mergers and acquisitions involving intellectual property, uh, strategic partnerships, licensing deals, um, contract negotiations generally, and, and I also am fortunate enough to do a lot of pro bono work at Wilson. I represent about eight nonprofits right now, um, dealing with a lot of the various issues they have um, trying to go online and other intellectual property protection issues. So I mainly deal with copyrights. Um, some patents and trademarks, but mainly um, music and video uploads, uh, social networking websites, things like that. Well, thank you.
thank you to all. Um, many of you touched upon um, your current work or your background, and if you could now touch upon what you find most challenging about it, either now, um, currently, or in the past. Do you want to go down? It, it's up to anyone can choose to. You, it, it's up to the five of you how you want to. I'll go ahead. I'll just jump in because that's so not a lawyer thing to do. Like, don't want to talk <laughs> about yourself. Um, I, so my current work is running a nonprofit, and so that's a switch I think from being a regular legal aid attorney because a fair amount of my time is spent on sort of the administrative details of running a nonprofit and being in supervision and management. And, Funding issues, which I would say from the nonprofit world, especially today, with the drop in federal and state funding for legal aid programs, one of the primary challenges in any public interest law firm setting is funding. So law legal aid attorneys have to become well-versed in development issues. You have to be able to conceive and write a grant. Um, and you have to be willing to do grant reporting and network with foundations to be able to fund the social work justice work that you want to do. And so being the head of an agency, that I think that's probably my largest challenge. How do I ensure the long-term viability of my nonprofit, and how do I try to make sure that we can grow? I would say the other challenge is that I love my job too much, and that I any piece of it, um, I would want to be able to do more, whether it's sort of the legislative work or the big-term policy thinking, where should the legal services network be in 10 years? I could spend too much of my time on that, and then my family would hate me. So <laughs> that's my other challenge, funding and balance. Cool. So we're going to go down the line. <laughs> in, in my, I'm a... Partner, there's two partners and uh, so not only do uh, the challenging part is is to provide timely legal services to your clients which is usually always yesterday um, and also um, help manage a business that um, um, involves 25 people and um, there is the business aspect of it uh, there are meetings that have to take place on that that part of it when you're uh, self-employed at the same time you're going to have client deadlines, and again, client deadlines are, are always um, immediate. And uh, some of us started practice when there was no such thing as email, um, when you had the luxury of writing a letter and knowing that it would take a couple of days to get to somebody, and then they would take a couple of days to think about it and send it back. And now, uh, sometimes when I do a business transaction, um, not only will I get the email, but Five seconds later, the lawyer on the other side will call me and say, well, have you received my document and have you read it? Mm -hmm. And it could be a PDF that's 150 pages. Um, and so that aspect of the law is, is challenging now. It's exciting. Um, but at the same time, you've got to balance that and at the same time take care of a lot of the normal routine business decisions that you have to in running a business. You have personnel issues. You have management issues. But again, that makes it exciting um, and challenging at the same time. Well, I would say that from my experience in the private sector, one of the challenges, certainly as it is for Paul, is managing client expectations. And since it is a service-oriented business, make sure you're meeting your client expectations in a timely manner, despite the 10 other deals you have going on. Um, in, for what I do right now at the law school, um, I consider my clients to be the students of Stanford Law School as well as the faculty members. 
um, and trying to accommodate their various areas of interest in the public interest sector. So for example, I've been developing a number of new pro bono programs for students to participate in um, because in our first year class alone, there's 65% uh, of them want to be involved in some pro bono opportunity. And they said, just give us more, give us more, but we want it in all these different areas. So it's going out there in the community, doing some outreach, and making sure that we have good um, intellectually stimulate, stimulating programs for our students as well. My current work is that I don't work. <laughs> the nicest thing I can say. And I won't tell you what I do, but I, I can volunteer in, in lots of different areas using my skills except for one area. I absolutely will not do anything that has to do with law. Because I've lived that life. And it's time to live my life better. And the message that I send myself constantly, and it will really be a little bit right. I have two daughters who are close to here, and they're both Stanford MBA grads. And I've just discussed with them what time we're going to dinner tonight. And I will probably hear something about how wonderful it is that we're going to dinner. Remember when you practiced law and we didn't even know if you'd be home before you went to bed. So the challenge I think that really faces these people is the balance of life. I do so many wonderful things that I enjoy right now that I didn't get to do and have time for in the past. And sometimes it impacts the parent and the people you love the most. So I say as I remember the practice of law looking back, the hardest thing to do is to manage the time that I work. Yeah, so that leads me into, I, I think, two major challenges come to mind. The first is that um, we all like to be students. That's probably why we're at Stanford. And the, one of the things I love the most about being lawyers, I'm constantly learning. But that's also one of the challenging things in two respects. One is that I want to learn about everything. And there's this thing called fillable hours you have to deal with as a lawyer. And so um, Wilson has, Wilson is a big law firm, so there's a training on something in, something every day. It's not even necessarily in my area of the law, but I want to go to it. And then there's a talk at Stanford Law School that I want to go to later that afternoon. I mean, this week I'm going to a World Affairs Council event one night, a Stanford reception another night, another Stanford talk on Friday, and a Wilson training on Tuesday. I mean, none of those things are billable, but all of us like to learn. And I think being a lawyer, it, lets me get involved in a lot of different areas, which is great. I mean, I could do that as a non-lawyer as well, but um, there's a lot of things I find out about through my work. Um, but I have to try and balance that um, some of those things do involve my clients, but a lot of them don't. And um, even if they do involve my clients, just sitting with them, I'm not going to be billing them for sitting with them <laughs> at, their, at the training session I invited them to come to. <laughs> right? So that's, that's, that's been difficult, but um, that's one of the rewarding things, I think, about being attorney, an attorney, because a lot of my friends who are attorneys are also um, in the same boat. And that's this, the second thing is that it is, being an attorney, you are constantly learning. And doing um, internet law and intellectual property law that I do, it's the developing area of law and it's completely cutting edge and even the partners I work with will give we're giving the clients a lot of times what I consider to be fuzzy answers because the law the cases are just you know like the YouTube case but Viacom just brought a case against YouTube for bringing down video clips I mean that's gonna affect a ton of my clients next week and I'll get questions about whether they should pull things down and you know I don't know yet right so um, it's rewarding but it's also challenging If each of you could talk a little bit about how you came to choose law as a career path and what you find most appealing. Are we, should we, okay, <laughs> we'll do this thing. Um, 
So I did kind of an, a, a non-traditional thing. I took five years off in between graduating from UCLA and going to law school, and I was a, I was hired into a nonprofit dance company right out of college. That was one of the reasons why I got into UCLA was I was a dancer and an actress, and so I did the whole like want to be a star thing for five years, and um, had a great time. It was an amazingly creative experience, and I made no money. Um, and so I had taken some feminist jurisprudence classes at UCLA. I went back to those professors and was like, talk, talk to me about law school. What is it like? What can I do? And they said, go volunteer someplace. Figure out if it's for you. But I had been very involved in sort of social justice activities and environmental issues as an undergrad and um, thought that that might be, you know, using law as an additional tool kit for the, those kinds of activities. And I went and volunteered with, for free for a year at the California Women's Law Center down in Los Angeles. And I knew within a week of being there that this was absolutely the thing for me. Um, and I think that, that this feeling of the law being this incredible power structure, really like electrical power structure that runs through both on a federal level and on a state level, and um, my sort of personal feeling that it doesn't often bend itself to the needs of low income and other disadvantaged folks in our country. And the idea of being the role of an attorney, of being like really grabbing a hold of that power structure and forcing it to pay attention to people that usually get overlooked was just incredibly exciting to me. Um, and I have to say that you know now, whatever, 12, 13 years later, um, after having gone through law school and now practicing, that feeling has never gone away for me, that feeling that um, like I was in a meeting in Sacramento on Monday building policy around um, perhaps the implementation of the right to an attorney in civil cases in California with, with a budget item this year and sitting in this room and feeling like, oh my, we are making the future right now and it's all happening through law and the reason it's happening is because people like me get to be in the room. And I walked out of there going, I can't believe that this is what I get to do for my job. Like, I, I would pay to do this kind of work um, and to feel like you're, you're able to create change in that way. So that's, that's the law for me. Maybe I'd like to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got me through law school. <laughs> um, I'm not, I always thought that the law was fascinating and maybe it was reading about it in the newspapers and knowing that you could make a difference in so many different ways. And I'll, I'm in private practice. <clears throat> Part of what our firm does, though, is we serve as a legal benefits provider for a, a large a corporation in Fremont that has a very extensive plan. And um, one of those things that they do, you find a lot of these people that work there just get into trouble because they just don't know how to run their lives, even though they know how to do their job very well. And um, going through and thinking about what I wanted to do in life, I wanted to do something that would make a difference, and clients like that allow you to make a difference. Um, I wanted to do something that would keep me interested. Um, every day that I go to work is different. No day is the same. Um, there are challenges every day. And something Marissa mentioned too is you learn every day. Whether you learn about the law or about your client's particular business. I was not um, uh, into the sciences here when I was studying at Stanford, but through my real estate development work I've learned a lot about biology, geomorphology, geology, drainage corridors, riparian corridors, all kinds of things. And um, I, I enjoy learning everything. Um, 
part of the challenge is, is I don't think sometimes we have enough time to learn. And I'd like to learn more, but um, that's, early on I knew I wanted to find something that, that would keep me occupied daily, it wouldn't be boring, and it definitely has not been boring. I think one of the things that would be a safe kind of generalization to make about most lawyers is that we're all pretty much type A personalities. Mm -hmm. um, we love being engaged and challenged, and law certainly provides all of those things. That's certainly the reason that the law, you know, that, that the law appealed to me personally. Um, also, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a really, I think, a gift to be able to advocate on behalf of someone. And I felt very fortunate enough to be able to go to law school and really, you know, Julia had some, said something earlier about making a difference in people's lives. And I think all of us, you know, go to law school for that reason. And I certainly tried to incorporate that in my career, whether it was in the, you know, private sector and now, like in the public interest sector, which is one of the reasons I've now made the public interest sector my full-time job. But um, I feel that it's really important to give back and law allows me to do that with the very specific skill set that, you know, I learned during law school and continue to learn throughout my career. My father and mother sold apples during the Depression and during the Second World War when, when I was uh, a baby. Uh, they didn't do too well, and yet my father did well as a merchant, uh, having his store, and he put me for Stanford seven years. And I'm very proud of that, but he kept asking me the same question in the four years I was in history. Made. What are you going to do? Go history store? Have <laughs> 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 any idea what I was going to do? I thought I'd be a teacher. I would have loved to have been a teacher, and I've been teaching in a way all my life that I couldn't be a teacher because of the Vietnam War. Uh, there wasn't an option. I had to go to law school or some other kind of graduate school where I could get a student permit. And I chose law, and it was the right decision for me, and I'm really lucky and fortunate uh, that I did. Um, why am I lucky and fortunate? What was it about law that called me and why am I there? Well, it's taken me, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 years to figure that out. Everything I've done, I'll talk to you about, uh, I understand I was working with children. I was working with abusers, people abusing neglected. I was working with law students, training them, hiring them. I've always been doing that. And we used to call it social justice. And it became social action. And it's a piece of me that is just part of the piece of me. And the more I explore it, the more I understand what it is. It's my spirituality. It's who I am. It's just a reality that I have some intuitive social values called moral values. I'm on the board and run uh, educational youth, library, and other programs at a synagogue on the uh, 35 miles east of Sacramento. And those basic values, which uh, my mother, my father, my school, my life are instilled in me all the way. Those are the values that drove me to do what I did in law. And now, retired, doing what I do, I'm very comfortable because I finally understand what it was. There's a piece of me, it's my spirit. And I define spirituality as that cognitive sense of what you're doing at the moment of any behavior is the right thing to do. That, to me, defines spirituality. And everything I've described to you that I've done in my career was the right thing to do. And that's how I know I was called, I was made, I was born to be a lawyer. It didn't mean the Vietnam War after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I wish I had that. I mean, I didn't have that, uh, the vision that I wanted to go to law school um, until probably I was a senior. I did Stanford in Washington in the fall, and I worked at the World Bank. And I was an international relations major. Um, and I 
love my experience with the World Bank, but I also, the way the World Bank works is you, if you go after college, then you're an admin. And so either I thought, um, I need to get an advanced degree in international policy studies or go to law school or do something. And, and the law seemed like an area where I could go to law school and focus on international law if I wanted, but it, but it was a flexible enough degree. And I saw how it was in Washington. I mean, all of these congressmen are lawyers, not that they're practicing law, but it just gives you some kind of carte blanche in terms of people think that you have a, a knowledge or an expertise in something. So um, that's what led me to law school. and. I worked at a think tank after my first year, and I decided that I wanted to do some kind of international aspect of work in California as opposed to Washington, and I took an international IP class to see if that was the right fit, and it was. So um, I landed somewhere I didn't exactly think that I would land um, doing intellectual property work, but um, I'm really, really happy with it. and. Um, and being a lawyer does give me the ability to, you know, you can help nonprofits in a million different ways. Um, uh, my dad runs a nonprofit, my dad is a doctor, and other people in my family help in other ways, but, but this is something I saw that this was a skill set that they, that they needed, right? Being a lawyer is something that is really useful to them. And even though right now I'm only doing it in a pro bono capacity, the nice thing about the legal profession is I think it's a, it's a door that goes back and forth. So even if you live your whole life and you just do pro bono work on the side or you do a great job for your clients or you leave to go into the public sector you always have the skill set to help people if each of you could describe what experiences and or skills helped you to secure your first position in law I mean I, I can speak sort of just from the, the public side the sort of public interest side which is that and having just looked at it ton of resumes I'm hiring law students for our unpaid summer internship um, that happens at LAC. Um, we really look for folks who have got some kind of non-profity experience. Um, and the kicker about that is that the way to get non-profit experience these days is to do it on a volunteer unpaid basis. They're non-profits just by the nature of you know the lack of funding rarely have funds, even work-study funds, to, to hire undergrads or law students on a paid basis, and yet when you're applying for a legal aid job, or I think even applying for law school, um, having some kind of, of legal aid or legal services or policy nonprofit experience is important. So I can, I can say without a doubt that my year that I volunteered at California Women's Law Center, and I was working in a, in a restaurant on the side to, to you know, survive, um, but the, the time that I spent there not only, you know, the kind of lawyer I am today, but also got me into law school because they wrote the letters that supported my application to law school, um, but also made sure that I got my first summer job at Legal Aid of San Mateo, which then really kicked my public interest career into gear. And so I would say without a doubt, you've got to get some kind of, even if it's time discrete or one project or in a couple of hours at a domestic violence agency, something that starts your resume builder. Because I'll tell you when law students, when what first year law students apply to work at my agency, unpaid, right, over the summer, I don't look at their grades. I could care less what their grades were in the first semester of law school. I look at what they did during college, before college, after college, and I look for some kind of link to nonprofit work. Even if it's tutoring or education, I look for some kind of commitment to giving back to the community where they were based. That's more important to me than how they're actually performing in law school. In, in my career, 
originally I thought I wanted to be a tax attorney, so uh, I took a lot of classes in law school and tax law. Eventually didn't work out, which is fine. Um, and that allowed me to get a, a job at what used to be known as a big eight accounting firm, Coopers and Librand, and I think it's a big four or something. Um, at the same time, um, so then after I worked there for a couple of years and then basically my partner and I started the firm. But what was really important was before I went to the, the tax work, I, intern I did an internship, essentially it was paid by a small law firm in Fremont. And uh, smaller law firms tend not to have a lot of depth. And um, the lawyers, as, as they came accustomed to what I could produce, gave me more and more to do, something that would traditionally not be done by law students. Um, and so I was given kind of a trial by fire. So by the time I got done with that, I got a little bit of experience in terms of actually practicing law, which you don't really get in law school. Maybe you do nowadays, I don't know. Um, and then I also had some experience at a big firm. So when we started the firm, I knew the basics. I mean, I knew how to file a complaint, I knew how to answer, I knew what depositions were, and um, all of that opened the door essentially to allow us to build the business. So practical experience is, is really key. As much of it as you can get as possible um, really helps. Um, for my first legal job, I interned at the ACLU and also as uh, a judge of family court judges uh, chambers. And I think what helped me most in terms of getting the job was, as Julia was talking about, just a demonstrated history of um, working in the nonprofit sector. And um, I've held a number of different leadership positions at the Haas Center for Public Service. And, um, also devoted just a lot of time generally to community service. And so I think those two things really helped me. Um, and kind of changing tax a little bit, because I know that sometimes some of you might be interested in international uh, related law. I actually found it very helpful when I got my first job at a law firm um, to have an international background because I speak Mandarin, Japanese, and Taiwanese. So, I think that fluency in another language is key if you want to go into the, into the international sector. I can't uh, overestimate the value of networking. All the things that I've described to you that I have done, I have achieved through networking. I've been able to fight for a job in my life. Uh, I took dance lessons when I was a high school kid being able to learn to dance from a woman whose husband was the jury commissioner of San Diego County in my first year of law school. I said to him, I don't want to work for my father again this summer. And he said, come on, I'll introduce you to the presiding judge of the Court of Appeal downtown. I went to lunch with him and basically he said, the judge wants to take this kid on for the summer. We don't do that. We've never done that. We don't have any money for it. And they said, can I work in the library for free? And you can get rid of me if I don't do a good job. And he said, yeah. So that's what I did the first summer. And at the end of the summer, he offered me a job when I graduated law school as a division clerk. And that's how it all happens, folks. All who you know and how well you perform so that they honor um, who you are. Yeah, I think that's that goes along with what I was going to say about just having a wide variety of experiences. So. Well, my first job in law school being at a think tank, but that was more policy than just legal work. So then my second summer, I did work at a firm doing international project finance. But um, because I had done a lot of different things, um, 
I could, if I was going to go, and then now I'm doing intellectual property law, I could tailor, I mean, I still had the same experiences on my resume, but when I was in the interview, I could make it seem like my whole life led up to the point where I'm doing internet law in Silicon Valley. And then go into an interview the next week, and my whole life has led up to the point where I'm doing international law in Washington, D.C. Because, or, and then I worked, I did a lot of tutoring and upward bound, a lot of educational things when I was an undergrad at Stanford and in my first job out of college. So I could have gone that route. And I think we all do a lot of things in our life, and so it's kind of thinking about what is your story when you go in for that interview. And then also, who have you crossed paths with during that time that could help you just informational interviews with people. They don't even need to help you get a job, but everyone you meet can kind of pick your interest in something new. So, that helped. Well, thank you. And if each of you could touch on what uh, you find most rewarding about your career, whether it's now in your current work, or what you found throughout your career path. I mean, I think my whole like tapping into the energy analogy is probably personally sort of one of the most rewarding pieces of the work but I have to say I think it's all grounded in the work representing clients and um, I was at the Women's Law Center they're more of a public policy litigation organization and so I didn't have client contact in my first summer in law school I clerked in the public benefits so welfare law department of Legal Aid of San Mateo and carried a client caseload under the supervision of an attorney and so I was doing intake and meeting with clients and going and helping represent them at welfare hearings and I learned equally as much about life from my clients who were the lowest income, low income Californians there are in that summer as I did about law from the attorneys. And I had not planned to be a legal aid direct services attorney. I thought I would go right away into sort of the public policy legislative side and that summer really turned things for me and I knew I wanted to go back and at least start my legal career at a legal aid um, legal aid organization working directly with clients at least at the beginning and you know in my work and, and those seven years I spent there five of which I carried a caseload working with clients was both the best and worst parts of that job best because it just I which I could encapsulate for you what it's like to work with a low-income person. Like I had a client once who was um, working at, you know, a department store and kicked out of her house where they were. She and her two boys were sleeping on the couch of a family member who evicted them a week before her severely disabled five-year-old was supposed to have his second eye surgery. So she was living in her car with a baby and a five-year-old. And all the doctors were saying, you can't live in your car and get your five-year-old ready for his second surgery. And she had gone to the welfare department and been incorrectly denied on two back-to-back -back days by the time she came into our organization. And to be able to, with one day of legal work, um, because of being a lawyer, right, it took being a lawyer to get her emergency hotel vouchers, um, emergency food stamps, emergency housing transition, and two weeks ago she and her boys were on full benefits and transitional housing and the little boy was able to have his surgery like I can't even tell you what it's like to have that be your daily job it is both exhilarating and also incredibly challenging to manage the emotional side of working with that client base um, 
And I couldn't do it long term. There are people who do it, you know, 50 years, and it's their entire legal career. And I found it difficult five, six, seven years out to continue to manage that level of emotional intensity. And so my job right now, where I'm a little bit removed from that, is better for me. But I find when I go out and work with my member programs and hear from them the, exactly those kinds of stories, it really grounds me again to the reason why there's a legal services network. It's not about making public interest jobs for people so that it can be rewarding legal experience. It's really about the fact that there is a whole community in our state that is absolutely um, in crisis and trying to do hardcore poverty alleviation. So I think that's both the most rewarding and most challenging parts of, of the public sector side. I, I don't think it's very different in, in, in the private sector from the standpoint that you use a skill set um, that you've been given to to help your clients, and I we have the clients through the legal benefits plan that are that are that need help desperately, and the letters that they write because you know now they're out from underneath debt or the creditor or whatever because they didn't they weren't able to take care of themselves are just as rewarding as helping the client close a twenty five million dollar deal. Um, um, both times you're using your skills as a lawyer. And I find that probably, I mean, I find that to be the most rewarding thing. The additional thing is, is, as a lawyer, you're kind of granted a little special set of privileges in California. I mean, uh, there's, I'm not saying that you like to go around saying you're going to sue people, but a lot of times the person that you're representing can't get any action, but when they, when the lawyer calls, you know, it, it definitely, the person on the other side starts to pay attention. So um, that's kind of a nice thing be able to do. Um, it really shortcuts the process all the time. For me, I think like helping clients is certainly very rewarding, but in addition to that, um, it's also the people that I get to work with and the students that I get to mentor. It's nice to see the next generation of lawyers mm -hmm. coming up, and it's nice to be able to have some small part in helping to groom that generation. Um, and I've been very fortunate throughout my career to work with very, very smart people whom I've learned a lot from and um, been able to give back um, to the community by working with them and with, with our clients. The work I've done, I think you know from my description, has been incredibly emotionally rewarding and, and satisfying from, from the people's heart sense of, of that. But the nice thing also is that not only was it that, but during all of that, I was able to exercise skills that I learned in law school and that I've built on since then and really feel a sense of confidence and satisfaction and pride in my own ability to accomplish things and stay current. I just admire how much you go to uh, educational and social and cultural and, and public interest things. And I think, yeah, that's who we are. Talk about type A people. We just we thrive on, on learning and knowing and being skilled but it's all in order to accomplish a goal. And uh, it's ultimately satisfying. One of the greatest satisfactions I have, I'm an expert in, in, in I think I can say it, in uh, legal research. And I've gone through, I'm very fortunate, my life has included the invention of that wonderful thing you take for granted every day. Because it didn't exist when I was in law school. It was invented much later. And I'm talking about the telephone. I'm talking about the photocopy machine. It's very difficult to go to law school before the invention of the photocopy machine. I guarantee it. But in any event, I was working for courts, and somebody said something about a double floppy computer. Mm -hmm. And then they said something about a 286. 
and then something about something called the internet, but we couldn't have it because we didn't have T1 lines, so we got CD-ROM towers. And Bancroft Whitney every month sent us these CDs and we tried to update it, and I had to train judges. And the hardest thing to train them was you don't need a computer because we only have budget for 10 computers. You don't need that fancy thing on the bench, even though it looks great. We need it where we're doing the legal research. And then we got the internet, and we built on that. It has made me stay alive to have the challenge and the, the fun of learning all that and using it as this whole thing has evolved. So I can't think of, if you're intellectually uh, alive and you have a passion you care about, whether as we were talking earlier, it's engineering, it's science, whatever your passion is, and you, you add on to that the ability to think and use the skills of a lawyer to accomplish your goals. Well, I can't imagine a more rewarding career than in the law. Just can't. Yes, it's pretty. It is pretty rewarding, and I think um, I think that all of us echo the same thing in that it's it's helping your clients. Um, but I I think with part and parcel of that's rewarding from a emotional and theoretical standpoint. But you got to really like the nuts and bolts of what you're doing on a daily basis. So I worked for the Stanford Community Law Center. I loved helping the low income immigrant clients. But at the end of the day, that area of the law. I didn't get as involved in it. From a policy standpoint, I loved talking about welfare policy, but when I actually had to file things with the courts that, you know, or fill out the government papers, that wasn't, that wasn't for me. And you have to like doing the details of the kind of law you're practicing. And I loved international energy policy and in developing countries, and so I went to do international project finance, and I couldn't stand the 150-page documents and the financial documents. And so, Policy and, and theory in classroom is quite different from we are actually practicing the law. And so it's what's most rewarding for me now is that I really, I've always liked helping nonprofits, but I found the area of helping nonprofits actually with their intellectual property protection that, that I do like the nuts and bolts of. And it took me, you know, three or four iterations of my legal path in order to get there. Um, and, uh, and I don't know that I would have I don't know if I would have been able to figure that out in a classroom. So it's, it's, it's always rewarding to be helping a client, um, but it's especially rewarding when you feel like you really like the area of expertise you're developing. From each of your perspective, perspectives, if you could talk a little bit about how a student could make the most out of their intern experiences. I would just say ask questions. I mean, I think any place that you're working, you know, government, uh, public interest or, or the private sector, the people that you're working for are going to be incredibly busy and I think there's a natural tendency to be like, oh, I can't, I have this whole list of questions, I shouldn't ask all of them. And um, I think that's true that the people are really busy, but I know that some of my favorite parts of working with law students and undergrads is engaging around those questions about the why, which I might take for granted, but giving some of the background and strategic sort of decisions around why to, why to do something a certain way. So. Um, I would just say don't hesitate to ask questions. It'll certainly make sure you get more of an understanding about what you're doing and it is enjoyable from a, a supervision's uh, viewpoint as well. I would say that what you have to do, the important is when, you, when you're doing your internship is, is not only do what Julie just mentioned, but also look for opportunities to do as much as you can, even if that means working later and learning something that may be a little bit out of your area. Don't be afraid to ask to do that. Um, so many things you can do um, 
but a lot of times, I know employers just think, well, you're an intern, you don't know anything about the law, um, what, what can you do? And so you end up doing cler clerical work, it's, yeah, you can do that, okay. But you're probably capable of doing more, but you have to show some initiative that you're willing to do more than that, and you need to take advantage of, of that. Uh, another thing that you can do is, um, part of the reason that I enjoyed private practice was in my side life, I was a soccer coach for 15 years, um, coaching a very competitive team. We made a great difference in a lot of lives, and so that's that's a great thing. But a lot of them um, didn't get things done in their own lives when it came to college applications, etc., on time. And hopefully, you're not like those people. But I used to tell them, I said, you know, you probably do very well in life. If I said 90% of the people that I deal with, including a lot of lawyers, none of them were whom are here, don't return phone calls on time. And uh, you're 90% ahead of the population if you're prompt and return phone calls. Show up on time. Don't take that for granted. Be punctual. Um, put in your hours. Um, people notice that. Um, they notice that you're informed. Um, uh, when I say informed, Although you're here and studying, don't don't let the world that's going around you just assume you don't have to read newspapers and everything else because you can get so involved here. You need a, you need a broad range of knowledge too, and you need to bring that to um, your internship to let people know that you're a well-rounded person, you care, uh, you're prompt, and you're reliable. Um, I would say that it's important to when you ask questions. I think that's a great point that Julia made. Um, but I would also add to that, that be sure that you might have a response for your own because the person might say, well, so what do you think? You say, well, you know, I have a question about this and this area of the law and this is what I think the answer is, but I'm wondering how you would approach it. And I think people prefer that a lot more than always just expecting the answer from them. Um, I also think it's very helpful to get asked for evaluations from time to time. And I'm not talking of the sort of the formal evaluation that you might have at the end of your internship, but get feedback throughout the process. I mean, we certainly all can improve, um, and it's good to get constructive criticism um, in ways in which you can accomplish that. I also think it's important to identify someone who might be a good mentor to you. Um, someone you can talk to about, you know, how what Alan had talked about earlier. Well, how do you balance the, you know, work and life outside of work? Um, or how did you choose, you know, your particular area of practice? I mean, this is where a mentor can come out, can prove to be very useful. Um, and I think the last thing, which is sometimes overlooked, is in addition to lawyers that are there, also get to know um, the support staff. I mean, I think it's very important that you treat those people well, get to know them. And you'll also get some interesting insight into the lawyers um, that you're working with as well. Step outside the internship box and look at it uh, from outside and ask yourself, uh, give yourself the opportunity to let it help you decide a lot of questions. It's okay for an internship to teach you that you don't want that kind of work. It's okay to the internship to teach you, I don't want to work in this legal environment. I should be looking elsewhere. Be looking at the internship and be thinking about networking. Who am I talking to regularly? How am I treating them? I personally never hired anybody I thought I would intentionally dislike. And I certainly hate writing letters of recommendation for people whose parents I know, but I don't know people except when they ask me to write letters of recommendation. <laughs> so you're networking. Uh, there are people you like. There are people you, you may not like, but they're, they're important here. Learn to like them. Learn to be nice to them. Learn that these are people that you may, may well be saying things later to other people about your future. 
Um, give the internship a chance. Give it your, your best shot. Work hard. Be productive. Why? Because you want someone in part to later say she worked hard in this production. And because you also want to generally learn how to work hard and be productive. So give the internship a chance to teach you lots of different things, uh, and it will. Yeah, I think um, one thing, and Jennifer and I talked about this at, at lunch, is um, if you do some kind of internship, try and think of it as the perspective of not just the job wouldn't be what you are currently doing, the job will be what someone much higher up than you is doing. So if you work as a paralegal before you go to law school, you may not want to go to law school anymore because you, you don't like what a paralegal does. Maybe you do like what it does, but try and meet with partners. I mean, I think the Stanford alum thing is great because people will email me and I don't, and I don't know them, but if they're staying, I mean, I'll meet with any student to talk to them, but I think that they feel a, open about doing it because they think that I'm a Stanford alum and I'll talk to them. So if someone was at my law firm as a paralegal and someone did email me who's Stanford alum and he met with me, then he can hear about my experiences, right? And then he could meet with a partner the next week and hear about their experiences. So that in any job, you're kind of, and if it's in a public sector thing, you're kind of, you don't get dissuaded by the fact, um, or discouraged by the fact that you're just filing. Because that's not what your life will be like when you end up there. And I would talk to people before going into the position to prepare yourself for it. Not like I'm saying doing reading, but to give you things to think about. Professors, you know, at Stanford may have had experiences with these organizations, and it may give you some kind of insight about, it may also get you closer to that professor. So when you come back, you parlay that into a research assignment for them or something. So um, it's, a, it's also a great way it's a great way to network too, because if you're in one public sector organization and you email someone out of the blue and say, I'm interning here and I'm really interested to be hearing your work there, you're kind of distinguishing yourself from every other student who just emails them, right? Because you have a special area of interest at that time. You're working on what they're working on. So I guess think outside the box. Don't just go in and do your job every, I mean, I think do your job and do it well and try and exceed their expectations, but um, also think about it, this isn't, this isn't the way it's going to be later on. Thank you. I think we have time for one last question before we open it up to the group for a formal Q&A. So um, finally, to conclude, if each of you could talk a little bit about advice or tips that you have for our Stanford students who are considering a career in law, and maybe more specifically, what you wish you had known as a Stanford student. Well, I have a plug a totally unabashed self-promotional <laughs> plug, which is that my organization runs the statewide website for legal services programs. So for those of you who are here to sort of think about public interest law, you should absolutely go and check out our website, which is www.calegaladvocates.org. Um, and the other self-promotional plug is um, sort of harkening back to the get practical experience thing. We often have time discrete projects that undergraduates can take on um, and because we run to these websites many of them can be done on a computer from where you are and so we're always sort of interested in hearing from folks who might be interested in an opportunity like that and I didn't bring enough cards but if you go to that website and then click on the about lack tool you'll get to sort of staff information I think you can get to my email through that way so and um you know, I made my way to the law in a very haphazard fashion. I don't think there was anything that I could have done as an undergrad except go out and do my weird acting, dancing thing and sort of get that out of my system to make the law a more viable reality for me. I think I had a kind of 
aberrant path, and nothing I did in undergraduate would have made a difference for that. Well, I don't think in all my career I've really met anybody that said, well, you know, I decided to be a lawyer when I was in kindergarten and went through, and these are the 2,000 steps that you need to do to get there. Um, I would, I think law school, if it's something that you're interested in, and for all the reasons that you've heard today, is something that's going to come, and it's going to be pretty intense. Um, I say, and so many people that I've met at your age, and I have children your age, they seem to be in an awful hurry to do everything, and there's this huge anxiety going on. And I'd say, enjoy the journey. You are at a great institution. Uh, learn as much as you can here. Take every opportunity. Uh, go out of your area, because this time you'll never have back again. You'll have lots of time in the working world. You'll be plenty busy. And learn and meet as many people as you can. The networking thing that Alan's talking about, um, we don't have time today, but I can tell you when all of us have stories of people we met 25 years ago when, when I graduated that have made key differences in our lives even though we don't see them all the time. So you don't want to just come here and go to wherever people go now the stacks of where we used to go and just study really quiet. I don't know if they even have stacks anymore. <laughs> Maybe you don't. You do? Okay. Um, but uh, I, I'd say meet, meet as many people, learn about them, uh, do that networking. They'll open the door. You, know, you may find that your, your college roommate can get you a job instantly when you graduate um, because something between you. So, um, and enjoy the journey. You're in a great time in your life. Don't be in such a hurry to leave the one year old profession. I think um, building on that, I think part of enjoying the journey too is, you know, don't go straight to law school would be my advice. I would suggest taking a few years off to really find out if this is what you want to do. You know, three years of law school, I mean, it's a big financial burden you're undertaking. It's, um, you want to make sure that you're passionate about it, not just because you want to check the box and get some sort of graduate degree because you couldn't figure out what else to do. And a lot of us talk today about the law being a vocation or a calling, and I really think that it is. Um, and I think you'll enjoy your career most if you look at it from that type of perspective as opposed to, well, it's just a job. You know, this is going to be, it, 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 this can be one of the most exciting professions if you, if this is the right fit for you. And I think you have to do um, a little bit of self-assessment. And I think having that time off is really critical. I think in deciding whether to go to law school, you have to know as much as you can about yourself. And the nice thing about those of us who pontificate is that we've had the experience we wish we had had 50 years ago so that we could make the decisions to get where we are now. But the reality is, look uh, at who you are. You stress out about not knowing what to do. You're conflicted about you know, all kinds of things when there's absolutely no reason for that. You're on a journey. There's supposed to be conflicts. There's supposed to be stress. There's supposed to be difficult issues. Enjoy the journey, as, as you've been saying. Enjoy your life. Right now, you're in a wonderful place. You obviously can manage time and have some wonderful skills. So you wouldn't be here. I could take your resume for each of you, just your resume, and predict what kind of law you're going to practice. Because as historians, we know that we look at the past to predict the future. And that's why you're at Stanford, because of what you did that got you into Stanford. So look at your own resume. Who am I? What does this resume tell I made these choices. I did this activity or that activity. I'm a scientist or I'm a musician. And that tells us straight away, if that's your passion, don't change what your passion is. Stay passionate. The law applies to it because the law applies to all human behavior. So the reality is all these conflicts about whether to do human interest law or corporate law or do this or that, you know, your resume probably tells us where you're going to end up. And if it doesn't, 
Give yourself the chance to evolve. Give yourself the chance to be open to change. Give yourself the chance to be influenced next year by someone who comes into your life then, or some invention that happens uh, sometime. You talked about the lawsuit that was filed and it's on the papers uh, everywhere today. Could you predict last Friday? You'd be worried about that today. You can't predict everything. And so uh, don't, don't even try. Just do what you can. Do your best to plan what you're going to be and where you're going to go and trust your intuition. Just trust your intuition and then network. <laughs> network. We're all here because we want to answer your questions. Give us the opportunity to do that tomorrow, the next day, in the future, by email, by telephone. And we, I think, I know for me and I think for all of us here, we'll be really pleased, pleased that you invited us to take a piece of the journey with you. Because that's what we want to do. But don't, don't get all worried about it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> well, you are all doing great things by even being here today. I mean, that's way more, I think, than I did to explore my legal career um, while I was an undergrad. Um, because I, I think that everyone you meet and you hear about their experiences, it just, I mean, like I said, I don't know that I would have known that there were so many different specialties in law except for by speaking to lots of people. And you don't have... Even though you have to write a personal statement to get into law school, and it's, it's supposed to sound as if you know why you, why you want to go to law school and what you want to do when you come out, people change so often, right? So, so you, it's great to think that you, you know what you want now, and I thought for sure, but don't be scared about trying things and not liking them. I, I, after my first year of practicing, I was doing patent litigation down the street from where I am, and I could not stand it. I thought I'd never go to a law firm again. I was just done with practicing law. And I gave it one more shot, and it's, it's like, it's a different profession. What I do now is completely different, even though it's intellectual property. This, the difference between litigation and transactional is huge, and the difference between public sector and private can be big, too. So um, if you just keep exploring things and building your experiences and go speak to your professors, it doesn't have to be about what's going on in the class. I didn't go to office hours and as an undergrad and talk about what's going on in the class because I didn't think I knew as much as the other my classmates, but I would go to talk to them about um, the talk they did outside of class or whatever committee I was on or something like that. So, you know, this is a great reading ground to learn a lot about what you are interested in and just, if it doesn't work, that's fine too. Well, thank you to all. Um, and for the next 15 minutes or so, we'd like to turn it over to you. And so um, please ask away for all of the panelists your questions. Um, some of you have touched on this already, but would each of you mind elaborating on either a typical project or a project you found particularly meaningful in your experiences? Go down the road again. I love lobbying, and I had no idea that I would actually like the like sordid like legislative work. But um, what I found in my current job is I love going to Sacramento. I love testifying. I love working the connections. Um, so we had this great bill that was introduced last year that is going to be implemented in 2008 where the state bar will have a checkoff to have individual lawyers contribute to a state fund for legal services. And our organization was super involved in that and it meant working with legislators, getting legislative support, getting programs to write letters to their legislators, testifying, you know, working folks who knew this legislator to get their vote confirmed. Um, and it, it is, was you know, heady and wonderful, and so that's sort of one of, one of my most recent favorite projects. 
there's there's a lot that I like. I like to do the deals, the business transaction deals. I also like working. I've, I've represented governmental organizations and also the private sector. And in those small government, whether it's a city or a special district of some kind, there's the dynamic of the hearings and the, the project. Um, you get to meet the people on the decision makers. You get to meet the staff of the district. You get to meet the people who have an interest in it, the public, and you're forced as a lawyer not only to deal with the legal issues, but also with the emotional issues that these people have. It's not like a court of law. Someone gets up at a public hearing and says something, and you know that, wait a minute, that's wrong. That's, you can't object. They've got a right to speak. You've got to deal with it. You've got to engage that person after the fact and hopefully try to bring them around to your, to your position. Uh, that dynamic is extremely exciting to me, and I thoroughly enjoy it and have an opportunity to do it. Pretty regularly. Um, you asked about what a typical project might be, and I, I guess there is really no typical project per se. But in the, from the transactional standpoint, I mean, there's a lot of negotiation, and you're advocating on behalf of your client, and also educating your client about you know what the different points are that they have to consider um, if they make this particular business decision, and what the legal ramifications might be. Um, and I enjoyed counseling them in that way. And I think also, you know, what Paul was saying, you know, you're have to deal with other aspects rather than just the legal. You're providing business counsel. You're providing also maybe, um, you know, if they're from a, I guess from a nonprofit perspective, it would be maybe some of the emotional support that they might need um, as well. I can't give you a typical project, but I'll tell you a project that I really enjoyed and was no failure. Um, <laughs> when I first started practicing law, it bothered me when I went to jail to interview the people that were, that were my clients that uh, even though pre constitutional right to counsel and the like. There was California law that they were entitled to a phone call and that they could call a lawyer. But there was only one little teeny sign in English near the phone that kind of gave anybody a little clue about that. And I decided, why aren't there big signs in English and Spanish in this jail? This is San Diego County telling people they have a right to call a lawyer. And then the problem became, what would they do if they could pick up the phone and dial a number? And I decided to do it wrong. And so a bunch of us got together and we talked to the sheriff and we talked to the board of supervisors and lots of people. And they all told us this was stupid. But we eventually got these signs up in English and Spanish and all the jails in the county. And we had a group of lawyers, all of whom took one night of the week to answer phone calls and put their phone number up there. And it worked for about six months. And then I couldn't find lawyers who were willing to do it. And the sheriff kept telling me that the they're ruining the phone and they're taking it apart. It was predetermined to fail because you need something more than like one guy pushing this to accomplish it. You need politicians. You need constitutional law. You need a lot of things. So it didn't work. But I was so proud when I was doing it and they were hassling me. I'm sure I spent two hours sitting in jail waiting to see some deputy who had authority over a phone and he was just letting me sit there for two hours. And they were hassling me to death and it happened to leave about five years later. The county was having problems with the sheriff and they created a, a board that's in the California law of overseers and jails in, in the county. Uh, it's called the Committee of Advising Adult Detention or something I haven't thought about for five, forty years. And the sheriff could appoint two people, and the board of supervisors could appoint two people, and the presiding judge could appoint two people. And you know the star. The presiding judge called me up, come on down, and I went down. He said, Remember the ruckus he created for you? That's exactly what they need on this thing. And that really jump started my, my visibility 
what led to a lot of, of my ability to do some of the things that I did. But that little project was a total failure in terms of delivering a service. And yet it was really important in my career. And so when you see something, some injustice or some unfairness or whatever, that can be one of the most important things in this have to check. So I'm real proud of um, something I'm working on right now is um, that, I, that I really enjoy that's kind of, I think, typical, um, especially right now because I'm, I am doing a lot of nonprofit work right now. I've been very fortunate um, about doing that lately. Is um, Students Rising Above, I, I've always, I've worked in education throughout undergrad, right? So Students Rising Above is an organization that helps low-income Teenagers go to college um, when Dizakuda started it, and they do. Um, they have footage on the news about it. So, I went to an event because my cousin was on the board, and and I showed up to this event last year, and I get to talking to them, and they have all of these concerns about getting their footage from the TV station. Who owns the footage? They want to be able to use it, so the TV station won't let them use it anymore. And they start talking to me. And I said, Well, that, I can help you with that, and. And you know, here's someone just having a conversation, talking to you about the concerns of their own profit, and that's an intellectual property issue. And my firm was actually already representing them, but the foundation didn't realize that we could help them on intellectual property issues, not just setting up their nonprofit. And so I got to get involved, and now I'm negotiating with the TV station to get the rights for the foundation to use, you know, perpetually. And then we'll draft the contract, and then when I go to the annual event in a month, then we'll get to see the old footage because that was in that contract. So being able to, and I have a lot of startup clients right now who are guys who would probably, have, I'd probably cross paths with them at Stanford, right? And then they'll talk to me about their business plan and then I say, oh, we can work with that, you on those issues. And being able to like go from start, someone has an idea or a concern in their head, and then being able to do the negotiations and the drafting and then see the end product is, is is sometimes in our fast-paced world that could be a typical day because someone <laughs> needs it that day but even if it's over a couple of weeks or a longer period just the fact that an, a typical day could be you know doing the negotiation call or, or drafting the contract or talking to your client to prepare them for you know what their expectations should be so noticed some of your so-called repeat Stanford offenders. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about your decision to come back to Stanford or what you learned by going somewhere else. And if you had to do it again, would you come back to Stanford for your JD after your undergrad or would you, you know, stand by your decision to go somewhere else? Well, I was a UCLA undergrad and Stanford JD. And um, I thought that as law schools go, and we haven't talked about the law school experience per se, but as law schools go, I thought Stanford provides an incredibly healthy atmosphere. Um, law schools are not known for being particularly healthy um, environments, and I thought that Stanford's really strove to um, make it a beneficial experience while you were actually in law school. So I would absolutely urge folks to consider Stanford's law school, and I would if I was doing it over again, I would go there again. I didn't go to Stanford Law School, so I went. I went someplace else. Went to Santa Clara, and it was it was fine. There was a lot of. Uh, I can't really compare. Stanford's a great school. That's what I hear. My oldest son's trying to get in, <laughs> so I'm sure it's uh, it's going to be a great it'll be a great experience for him. 
Um, I went to Stanford undergrad and then Penn for law school. Um, and for me, I thought it was very valuable to have both the West Coast and East Coast experience. You know, Stanford, I, I loved my experience here. I have to be honest with you, law school, I, I didn't really like so much. Um, because I think I was expecting it maybe to be too much like my undergraduate experience. And it was a very different environment from which I was used to. It wasn't very ethnically or culturally diverse. Um, and I think I had always taken that for granted. But I think it was really good for me to have that experience at a different institution simply because you know, I learned a lot about myself um, and you know learned about living in a completely different environment. I think it opened my eyes to, to a lot of different things. I wanted to say in California, there's a choice of both fall or USC, UCLA, Stanford. What came down to that? It was easier to stay. It really just came down to the fact that it was easier to stay. So I'm a double. I loved Stanford Law School. I think it was exactly like undergrad. I mean, I loved undergrad here. You get to, it's a, you learn as much from your peers and professors informally as you do by going to class. Um, and I think the law school is the same. I think it's very healthy. It's not that competitive. People are very involved. Everyone's on committees for something, and everyone's going to speaker series. And um, and uh, you can and now the way Stanford Law School is even developing the curriculum so that you can do it's switching over to quarters. So now you could do joint degrees. You could take classes in other areas of the university. And I think um, that in today's legal world, um, you're probably not just going to need to know about torts law, right? So um, I think. I think Stanford, I don't. I did not feel weird at all. I mean, I've been in Palo Alto 11 years now, including my time at Stanford, and I, didn't, I did not feel like I was still in the same place. I was on a totally different part of campus. My friends weren't from Stanford undergrad. I was still involved in the undergrad university, but it, it, it didn't feel too stifling for me because law school on its own is a completely new experience. So, and, and you can take the opportunity. I mean, I went, I went away for two quarters of Stanford undergrad, but even in law school, I mean, I could have, I could have gone away, you know, every summer to try different experiences. So I was happy with it. Well, I need to add on to that. If you're thinking about public interest law, you must go to a law school that has an LRAP, a loan repayment assistance project. Because I graduated from Stanford Law School with over $100,000 in law school debt. And no, I had no undergrad debt. I had paid that off. But I graduated with over a hundred, so between a hundred and $120,000 in law school debt, which is the norm these days. Eighty to 120000 is the norm. And, if Stan and Stanford has, in my opinion, the premier LRAP program in the country, which means that every year that I've worked in a nonprofit, which is all of mine, Stanford has given me money to pay off my law school debt. Um, and I would not have been able to have this career without that support. So um, if you're thinking about public interest law, that you must make that one of your primary considerations when you're choosing a law school. And it doesn't only cover un um, law school loans, it covers undergraduate loans at Stanford through their um, LRAP or loan system program, um, which is different from some of the other law schools. It's just about four o'clock, uh, so if we could um, please give all of the panelists a round of applause. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.